Welcome into Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Today on the show, no doubt was left. Falcons needed bad and didn't keep the foot on the gas. It's all next. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Hitting hard as part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We ask you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast. Get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as soon as they become available. Also, check us out on the SiriusXM app and give me a follow on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. Well, it was a massively successful weekend for the Braves, who earned a well-deserved day off on Labor Day yesterday after putting in a lot of laborious work over the weekend, taking three out of four from the LA Dodgers. And again, you know, the final game was maybe a little bit of a throwaway, but now the Braves come back home to take on the St. Louis Cardinals, a last place team, believe it or not. But they did a lot of heavy lifting in LA. And, and look, we talked about last week on the show that, yeah, this was a fun series, but it wasn't, didn't need to be overhyped or things like that. But what the real result that came out of this more than just, okay, the Braves are now seven games up on the Dodgers for the best record. And they're all but assured that they're going to end up with the number one seed and all this kind of stuff was the fact that there was no doubt left that Ronald Acuna Jr. is the MVP of the league. Now, obviously, this was a series that featured probably the top three candidates in the National League in Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, and then obviously Ronald Acuna Jr. So the top three candidates were hooked up in a series for four games where, again, maybe one person can you know sway the vote and, and break out, but there was no doubt about it that Ronald Acuna Jr., came out of this as now the absolute assured, I believe, MVP of the league. Barring a ca catastrophe or catastrophic injury to happen to him, he's the MVP of the league. Six for 17 was Ronnie over the weekend. Four runs scored, three homers, each uh, a homer in each of the first three games with six RBI, couple of stolen bases, a 353 batting average, 421 on base and an absurd 1,362, a 1,362 OPS. And look, we've known, especially here in Atlanta, that Ronald Acuna Jr. has been the MVP of the league and he's been the best player in Major League Baseball. But if you wanted to influence voters and especially in a series against the top two candidates, for the MVP, again, Freddie and Mookie Betts. Like, we've talked about the idea of, you know, I think those guys will split their vote, but it's not going to matter at the end of the day. It's not going to matter at the end of the day. And, and I don't think that's going to happen with Ronnie and Matt Olson. I think Matt Olson will get his bouquets and flowers as a top maybe four to six MVP candidate, but he's not going to split the vote with Ronnie. He's not going to take away too many votes from Ronnie. I don't think anybody could come out of that series with the Dodgers and look at the idea of 
anybody but Ronald Acuna Jr. should be the MVP of the league. And and the iconic photo, right? We talk about great sports photos, you know, um, Ali, you know, standing over Sonny Liston, you know, after his victory. Again, Ronald Acuna Jr. rounding first base with Freddie Freeman with sort of hands on his hips looking down at the ground. That's an iconic photo in Braves lore. So, again, we've talked about the fact that Ronnie has had an amazing run, and it's not just been the stolen bases. It's not just the homers. You know, it's not just about it's not just one thing for Ronald Acuna Jr. this year. But there was no doubt about it that the impression that he left in L.A. over the weekend is that, oh, okay, he's the best player in baseball. He deserves to be the MVP of the National League. And, and now, again, we've talked about the idea of everything has just fallen in line for the Braves. That taking three out of four from the Dodgers, they're whatever, six, seven games up on L.A. for the best record. And we looked at the schedule moving forward for the Braves, right? St. Louis, Pittsburgh, Washington is the, is the team that they play, what, like seven of the last ten games against the Nationals. Like they have all of these vagabond teams. And now they can just cruise their way into the playoffs. And again, I will be interested to see as we're now in September and we're past Labor Day, how how Brian Snicker handles the rotation. I'm going to be curious to see that if some guys get some starts and rest some of your arms. And I'm not talking about, you know, maybe pushing a guy back a day more than anything, right? You might see a guy get pushed back a day if he's pitched a bunch of innings, you know, maybe a Charlie Morton gets pushed back a day. Maybe they slow Max Freed down a little bit, or maybe again, maybe maybe they continue to push him, you know, hard and get him ready, you know, try to ramp him up and amp him up for the playoffs. I don't know. You know, again, we will see, you know, what happens over these next few weeks, but we're coming down the home stretch to the last part of the season. And before you know it, in a few weeks, it'll be time for baseball playoffs and all that good kind of stuff. But the impression that was left over the weekend is that Ronald Acuna Jr. on a national stage against, you know, again, the, the, their hated rivals or, or their number one rivals in the L.A. Dodgers and the team that they've been competing against for the number one overall record in the National League, they left no doubt about the fact that Ronnie is the MVP of the league. And for all the numbers, again, it's been a remarkable season. But sometimes when you're talking about MVP moments and things like that. Ronnie stepped up, but especially in those first three games where he had homers in the first three games. But again, he accounted for counted for four runs, scored six RBI with three home runs in it. And he tacked on a couple of steals for good measure in all of it. And I do think that Ronnie is not just going to win the MVP award this year, but I think he's going to win his first gold glove as well. I, I think it will be that magical year for Ronald Acuna Jr., all the way around where we see the MVP gold glove, you know, again, all of these different accolades that finally get Ronald Acuna jr. And as everything has come together for him, finally give him his bouquets and his flowers as being arguably not just the best player in the national league, but there now has to be discussion about the idea of, is he the best player in major league baseball? And I know Atani is a freak of nature and, and I get that. You know, but as Mike Trout has spent another season injured, and again, they're a team that's underachieved as a franchise for all the greatness of Trout and Otani and all that kind of stuff. 
they can't get out of their own way as far as winning baseball games. But there's no doubt about it that Ronald Acuna Jr. sealed up the MVP award for the National League with that series and separated himself completely from Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. So again, when we have discussion, if you want to discuss who's going to finish second in the MVP, you can have that discussion. Whether it's an Olsen, whether it's Freddie Freeman, whether it's Mookie Betts, that's all that has to be decided. But the leader in the clubhouse now, without question, after that performance that he put on in L.A., under the lights, in the big market, right, leaves no doubt about the fact that Ronnie is the MVP of the league. That was an outstanding performance. And again, he sealed that up. And now it's just kind of cruise control. Like I said, assuming that there are no big setbacks or anything like that, no reason to think that Ronnie isn't going to be the MVP of the league. All right, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. And look, as we're getting ready for NFL season, and by the way, it's on Thursday night coming up, and obviously it's game week for the Falcons. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets from FanDuel right now, guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet the $5, they'll also get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. So right now, Put your $5 down, get the $200 in bonus bets, get the $100 off the NFL Sunday ticket. Now's the best time to join up with FanDuel. It's a safe, secure, super easy to use app, and everything can be bet on from spreads to player props to everything in between. So go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N and kick off the NFL season with an offer you don't want to miss. Bet the $5 and get $200 in bonus bets and $100 off NFL Sunday ticket. FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel's the official partner of the NFL. So I was just, you know, getting ready for game week, and obviously the Falcons are going to start up the season in Mercedes-Benz, and they're going to take on the Carolina Panthers, and it's all kind of good stuff. But let's think back. Do you know the last time that the Falcons won in week one of the NFL season? The last time the Falcons came out of the gate and won their opener in the, in the league 2017. Now, what else does 2017 coincide with? Well, that's the last time that the Falcons made the playoffs. Last time the Falcons were in the playoffs was 2017. Last time that they won their season opener was 2017. And I don't think that's all coincidence in this, that, and the other. And again, they were coming off the Super Bowl year and all this stuff, you know. So again, that they were, you know, one of the marquee teams in the league coming off the Super Bowl appearance and all this, that, and the other. But I don't think it's coincidence. And here's the thing about the Falcons. They need this game bad. They need this badly. They need to get off on the right foot and find a way to pick up a victory in this game against Carolina. I don't care what Bryce Young is. I don't care about all their coaches. I don't care about what they are defensively. I don't care. And we'll preview the game as we get later on in the week, and we'll talk about what's going to happen and this and that and the other. But I don't care if it's by 55 points. I don't care if it's by half a point. The Falcons need a victory in this game. They need to get off on the right foot. If we're going to change this season around, you can't lose to Carolina in week one. Sorry, 
but you can't lose to Carolina in the week one and start selling me on, well, you know, we'll get them next time and all this kind of stuff. No, no. I mean, again, if you are at home and taking on Carolina, you have to find a way to win. I don't care if you have to cheat, scratch, steal, whatever you have to do. If you have to go Eddie Guerrero, lying, cheating, stealing, if you've got to do that to win, then you do that to win. But again, when we're talking about a last place schedule that the Falcons are going to play and plenty of winnable games, you know, and you're not really into any kind of meat of the schedule, you're you're opening up at home to take on Carolina, a divisional foe. If we're going to talk about winning our division and all these dreams and hopes and aspirations that we have, it has to start with Carolina. There cannot be any excuses. There cannot be any growing for Desmond Ritter. I don't care if you have to if you have to run the football 135 times in that game, you run it 135 times. As long as you come out on top in it, that's all that matters. So again, I don't care if they play well. I don't care if they stink up the joint. I don't care if they look like the best team in the NFL after week one. I don't care if they put up 63 points and look like the most prolific offense in the history of the league. All I care about is, did you win or not? Did you win or not in week one? Because if you tell me that we can't win in week one against the Carolina Panthers, then you're going to have a hard time selling me the rest of the way that things are just magically going to turn themselves around. And look, this all sets itself up for... Obviously, big-time success for the Falcons to start the season off with. Again, you're playing a divisional foe with a rookie quarterback and all the coaching change and, you know, them bringing in all these, you know, rookies and all. I mean, again, it all sets itself up for we need to go out and find a way to get a win. So, again, I don't care. And that's the great thing about the NFL, right? The NFL is a results-oriented business. It doesn't really matter. If you win by a point per game in every game, doesn't matter if you win by 15 points per game. It doesn't really matter. All that matters is when you look at ESPN.com and you look at the NFL tab and it, you get the standings, did you have more victories than everybody else? That's all that matters at the NFL. Right? There's no Harris polls. There's no BCS computers. There's nothing else that you have to influence or, or impress. No committees that you have to impress. No nothing. It's did you win or did you lose? And that's all that matters in the NFL. So no matter what, no matter what, as far as what happens on Sunday, how good we look, we'll analyze and we'll overanalyze, you know, obviously everything after week one. And, you know, we'll break it all down into minute detail and get through all the muck and the mire and all the minutia and everything else that we'll figure up. But did you win? And this has to be a victory for the Atlanta Falcons. Or you're going to have a hard time selling me on all of a sudden we're ready to just take over the division and win the division title. And I don't care how bad the division is. If you can't beat Carolina on your home field, it's going to be a tough sell to try to tell me that, again, we're going to turn the corner and everything will be fine and we got to grow into it. And we've got Desmond Ritter that's got to adjust and all this kind of stuff. Just find a way to win. Like I said, I don't care if they win seven to six. I don't care if they win 70 to 60. I don't really care. I just want to see a victory coming out. 
And again, the last time that we found a way to get a victory in week one of the regular season, I don't think it's coincidental to the fact that it's also the last time that we made the playoffs, the last time that we were above 500. All of that kind of stuff goes together. So find a way to win on Sunday. I don't care how good we look. We'll adjust our way into that. We'll figure out our pathway through the season. You know, we'll figure out what we are and what we aren't, and we'll learn about all this kind of stuff. Just find a way to win. I don't care if you're ugly, you know, beautiful, whatever it is, find a way to win against Carolina at home and take care of your business there. Bottom line. All right, as you're listening to Hitting Hard, make sure you go in and leave us a comment on whatever podcast platform that you're listening on. Let us know that you're an everyday listener to the show. We do thank you so much for being a part of our ever-growing community. And again, we thank you so much for being a part of this journey. But let us know in whatever podcast platform that you listen on. Leave us a comment and let us know that you're an everyday or you listen in five days a week to the program. Well, it was a disappointing Friday night for Georgia Tech against the Louisville. And, and, and what's really frustrating is, is that this had all the makings of what we were hoping for with Georgia Tech, right? Haynes King come out and, and they had a big second quarter. And again, the first quarter kind of, you know, it was sort of a chess match, just, okay, we're feeling our way through. We're trying to get into a rhythm. We're trying to break out. Okay, you know, it was, wasn't was a very pretty first quarter, right? It was, I think uh, Tech was down six nothing after the first quarter right but then in the second quarter tech exploded offensively 28 points they outscored louisville 28 to 7 in the in the first half in that first second quarter i should say they were up 28 to 13 and a half and you looked and it was like wow this is this is tech football like all of a sudden we were making big plays in the run game we were making big plays in the passing game we look like a competent 21st century offense. Dare I say that that we look like an offense that could have to be reckoned with, right? Dominic Blaylock and the kid from Alabama and Haynes King doing his thing and we're running the football and all these kinds of things against really, truthfully, not a very good Louisville team. And, and we talked about last week on the show that, you know, Louisville is finding their way and finding their footing to where you're going to have to learn Jeff Brom's offense, and there's probably going to be some adjustment and some learning curve to all of that. And then the second half came along, and it just became it just became a a complete frustrating source. Tech loses that game, 39-34. Um, they were outscored 16 to six in the final quarter, and they were outscored more importantly 10 nothing in the third quarter. And I really thought that tech in some ways sort of took their foot off the gas pedal. I thought that they settled and I thought that they were trying to just find their way through the game and not maybe be as aggressive as what they had been. But that was a frustrating game because again, there's no reason. First off, there's no reason for Louisville to come into Mercedes Benz, which again, is a de facto home game in a lot of ways, and come in and put up 39 points on this defense. Who, By the way, their, their strength of their defense for Tech is their secondary. But again, I, I very frustrating to watch when this, this thing was unfolding 
in that second half. And I didn't think that they kept their foot on the gas pedal. And offensively, after that second quarter explosion, they did nothing in the second quarter. They only scored six points in the other three quarters of that game. And Haynes King, look, I mean, again, you can look at all the numbers. Look, 19 for 32, 313 yards, average 9.8 yards per attempt, three touchdowns in the game. They ran for 175 yards. Uh, Rutherford had 85 yards on five catches. Chase Lane had 69 yards on three catches. Like they were doing all kinds of good things. And it just felt like offensively for all the good, it was all piled up in that second quarter. And we never saw that in the other parts of the game. And that was a very winnable game for Georgia Tech. Now, look, Georgia Tech's going to go in on Saturday and they'll beat South Carolina State. They'll take care of business. But again, those when we're talking about 50-50 games that Tech needed to find a way to get itself to a bowl game, okay? Tech needing a, a way, finding a way to get the six and six on the season. That was a complete swing game in that opener. That was one of those 50-50 games that you felt like, okay, if we can win this game, we can go beat South Carolina State and we can be 2-0 and to start off the year. Okay, now we're a third of the way there. And I'm not saying that their ultimate goal is to just get to a bowl game, but certainly the first step has to be winning at least six games and getting to a bowl game. Then everything else that we do from there is just gravy, right? But again, you've got trips to Oxford, Mississippi. You're going to play Georgia at the end of the year. Obviously, Clemson, right? Pittsburgh, Carolina. Like There are plenty of landmines on this schedule that when you have some of these 50-50 games, again, Louisville's a 50-50 game. Virginia's a 50-50 game. Virginia Tech's a 50-50. Like, there are some of these games that you have to find a way to win. And that was what was so frustrating is you saw the flashes in that second quarter about what this offense can be, right? I mean, everything was clicking in that second quarter. And, and we look like a competent offense. We look like, for the first time in a long time, a 21st century offense in the world of college football. And we talked about last week, look, it's been since 2017 is the last time that Tech was in the top 70 in yards, top 70 in yards offensively. And it's been since 2007 is the last time that Tech had a 2,000, I'm not talking about three or four, a 2,000-yard quarterback. Haynes King threw for 300-plus yards in that game. No reason to think he can't be at least 2,000 yards in this offense. Obviously, he's got all the ability in the world, but at the end of the day, you didn't find a way to capitalize on all of it. You didn't take advantage of all of the good things you did on offense and your defense laid an egg and you and your offense only scored six points in the remaining three quarters of that game. After all of that explosion in the second quarter of the game. Yeah, okay, I'll give you the first quarter. You know, they were feeling their way through and trying to adjust and all this good stuff. But again, that second half, you only scored six points in the entire second half. And, and, it was just frustrating to watch. And and 
I'm not going to blame. Well, I am going to blame Brent Key in, in some ways. Again, like this, this is one of those games that if you're going to tell me, if Brent Key is going to tell me that we're turning the corner and this program is going to get better, that's a game you have to win. Like you can't lose that game. After you're up 28, 13 at the half, you explode for 28 points in the third quarter and you give up 39 points in that game overall. You can't do that. And especially against, look, a team in Louisville that's certainly feeling their way through everything. New coach, new system, right? And again, I know Jeff Brom's a, a very good offensive mind, right? He was, you know, great at, at Purdue and all this kind of stuff. But still, it's week one. And and, and they were coming to Atlanta. You know, on, on, like I said, a de facto home game for this team. And you couldn't find a way to get a victory out of all of it. And I thought a lot of it had to do with the fact that they just did not keep their foot on the gas pedal after all that momentum that they built in the second amount. And they were flat again in the third and fourth quarter of that game. And they allowed Louisville to dictate to them what was happening in the second half. And that's coaching. You know, that is coaching, you know, and I'll give Jeff Brom credit. They found a way to adjust. Brent Key and Tech did not find a way to adjust frustrating game that should have been a victory for Georgia Tech in Mercedes-Benz so look they'll win on Saturday against South Carolina State but that was one of those 50-50 games that you may look back and say gee why did Tech not get to a bowl game that may be one of those games that's a reason why all right well thank you so much for making Hitting Hard your first listen be sure to go into whatever podcast platform that you listen on and drop us a note and let us know that you're an everyday listener to the program we call them our everydayers and we do thank you so much for being a part of our community. You can also check us out on YouTube or subscribe uh, on YouTube and follow us, uh, get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as soon as they become available. Also check us out on the SiriusXM app and then give me a follow on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. We'll be back with you tomorrow. This has been Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked on Sports Atlanta. 